welcome to episode 17 of this Inspired by 2020 Visionary Chat Series. I'm delighted to be joined today by none other than Kingsley Aikens. Kingsley, how are you? Super, thank you. It's great to meet you. And uh, I've known you for two or three years now, and you're a consummate professional. Um, um, you know, you've, you've had an amazing career. You're, you're the CEO of the Networking Institute. You've been the former president and CEO of the Worldwide Island Funds. You're a highly acclaimed networking expert, um, trade promotion expert, philanthropy, diaspora management. You've done a lot of things and you've also had a rugby career and you've traveled the world and you've been lived in Australia as I have. So um, it's a privilege to be talking to you. And uh, really to kick off, maybe if you can just give the audience five minutes really background about you, your life, and how you got to this bit being a global expert in networking. Well, probably out of desperation is a quick answer, but firstly, uh, thanks for having me on. And secondly, that was, um, I have to say that introduction was way over the top. It was uh, totally exaggerated, but I have to admit, Simon, it was exactly the same as the one I emailed you last week. So thank you, thank you for doing that. So how have I found myself in this position? You know. Um, I don't really mean desperation, but, you know, um, the mother of invention and all those sorts of things. I left Ireland. I mean, when I finished college, I went off and I played rugby in France for a season. I, I got kind of injured over there and I gave up rugby. But, but it always became an interesting passport for me throughout my career. And it kind of sent, it circles back a little bit later. But I found that when I went to places, and I was keen always to go to different places. So, for example, I was posted out to Australia. And I literally arrived one morning in Australia and I knew nobody in that country. And I think that's a wonderful um, blank canvas with which to start. And yeah. I, I realized fairly quickly that I wasn't going to be able to achieve whatever I wanted to achieve on my own. I needed to build a network. So I, I just bought into this notion of you need to network your way to success. The other thing, I was lucky enough to have gotten to know people who are quite good at this. And you know that old adage, we are the average of the people we hang around with? Yes. You know, and if you hang around with people who are good at networking, I find that sort of this stuff, it sort of rubs off a little bit. Yeah. Sort of a bit of osmosis happens and you realize that, you know, the characteristics of great networkers I discovered over time um, were fairly standard amongst all people. They work hard at it. They don't yeah. brag about it. They, yeah. they don't keep score. Um, you know, they understand there's two types of information in the world. There's formal information and you can Google and learn, read reports, yep. but you can't compete on what everybody has access to. And then there's informal information, which comes from your network. So I realized yep. all of that. Then as, the, as particularly in the last number of years, I realized that, you know, great networkers are high tech. They totally understand the power and use of technology, but they're also something else. They're high touch and yep. they get that balance right. Yeah, and and yeah. frankly, I think we're veering away from the touch side and we're veering very much towards technology, which is a little ironic, seeing as I was speaking to you over Zoom. Yeah. Does all that make sense? It, it does. It, and it, it, no, it, it does. And in terms of the technology side of things, I, you know, a few, I, I interviewed Ted Rubin, who's the CMO of Photify, a, a company in the States, and he was saying that in, in, in a funny respect, you know, we're, we're social animals, as, which is what you, 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 I mean, this is your business. It's about, you know, the social context of human beings. Um, but in a funny way, being online like this and facing each other um, almost focuses your attention even more, right, than, than if you're in a room because there are no distractions. It, it, it's not ideal, but there is a focus. And the other thing is that when you're online, um, 
you know, you've done, you've done some of the research about each other. So in some respects, there's already some sort of, some sort of trust, even though you're behind a screen. Okay. What, what do you think about that? Because, you know, the whole area of networking, whether we like it or not, we are all networking online right now. So there is going to be a new norm here. What, how is networking technology changing networking, which is a huge question. <laughs> well, you know, I'm fascinated by the question, obviously, because I, I've always been a fan of a woman called Sherry Turco. And Sherry yeah. Turco is an American MIT professor, wrote a book, who's a bestseller on the New York Times list, and it's called Alone Together. And what she was saying is, um, technology is fantastic. We can connect with anybody anywhere in the world, but we're all alone yeah. in front of the screen. Well, I agree with that, and I've always felt that that was one of the dangers of technology. But ironically, as you just explained, this enforced isolation yeah. has brought about that technology is actually a medium of intimacy, Absolutely. which was the exact opposite of the tendency of the trend that was happening before the lockdown and the COVID-19. So I agree with you. Absolutely. It's ironic. I mean, you know, just thinking, doing this series, you know, I've reached out to 23 global leaders like yourself, um, Australia, US, UK, here in Ireland, and 20 unequivocally said yes, without any questions, really, really asking me why I'm doing it, you know, and, and, and I spoke with Sally Helgerson, who's the world's premier expert on, on female empowerment a couple of weeks ago. And I said to her, Sally, I hope you don't mind me saying, but if this lockdown wasn't happening, would, would, you, would you have found the time to speak to me? And she said, probably not, you know, because she'd be traveling around doing. And so th that's the amazing thing is that, that I don't think people realize that we can all access more influential people through this medium than we ever contemplated. And, and also people of influence are prepared to give back, you know, so there's a lot of change happening as a result of this and and it's not all one way i think we're all helping each other you know yeah yeah i mean it's not all bad but obviously we're the lucky ones we haven't yeah. been afflicted by the awfulness oh. of it. and and i think there's probably some big challenges coming down the pike uh, yeah. at us uh, as a result of this but yeah. i do take your, i do take your general points i think all of us have had a little bit of enforced hibernation yeah. we quite like what's happening to the environment uh, we like uh, the fact that we can spend more time with family, etc. Yeah. But I'm getting a little weary of it all now, I must say. And uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting ready for getting back. And so I, I'm in the position of, um, you know, getting ready for uh, re-emergence. Now, it may take some time, but yeah. I don't want this to last. No, I agree. It's funny, you know, I, I normally go walking along Don Leary Pier with a group of uh, mature men, put it that way, every Sunday morning. And we, we this Sunday was the first time in three months. And it was just a feeling of freedom just to see each other again in the flesh. You know, it was a wonderful thing. So, you know, th this whole series about the inspired by series, really it's about the intent of this is to spread a message of inspiration and optimism, but it needs to be a pragmatic op optimism. And you were quite rightly saying there that, you know, um, without naming specific businesses or specific companies, there are real challenges ahead, probably in middle management and, um, you know, there are real cost efficiency challenges and brand challenges. What, what, what can you share about that in terms of the, how that might affect the ability of organizations to continue to connect and maximize networking? The, the, the negative yeah, changes that you see, that, the challenges. Yeah, look, at a kind of a mega macro level, um, historically, a lot of these awful occasions which have happened in the past have been followed by periods of great innovation, great creativity, uh, and great, great inventiveness. Also, you know, 
I think I'm lucky. I think you're fairly lucky. I mean, the last 40, 50 years, certainly in Europe, has been very peaceful. I mean, the European Union has been one of the most genius inventions in the history of mankind because it's yeah. brought about peace. Germany and France are not fighting. England and, and yeah. Sweden aren't fighting. So, so I think that's, that's, really, that's really wonderful. And, and somebody put it to me quite, um, quite, quite colorfully just recently. They said, imagine you were born in the year 1900. Yeah, yeah. When you were 14, there was a world war that killed 22 million. When you were 18, there was a flu, a pandemic that killed 50 million. When you were 29, the whole world economy collapsed. When you were 39, you know, we entered into another brutal world war, etc., etc. But we've had a fairly event-free. Now, we've been fortunate in the right place, right time. Um, and so it's naive of us to think that that's going to continue forever. And so what, one of the points I would be making is that, yes, as we come out of this awful crisis, there will be more down the pike. So I think we have to, you know, have to, you know, prepare ourselves and, and, be, ready, and be ready for that. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I talk about this whole thing. We spoke before. I call it denial optimism. You know, as you said, you know, for the best part of 70 years in Western Europe and North America, we've been looking at other less fortunate parts of the world and of the world. And we've sort of, you know, we've got enwrapped with technology and everything's gone our way. And now this, I call this period a period, a circuit breaker period for the first time in history. I think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but all 7 billion people on this planet will never forget 2020. This is like a circuit breaker year. And I, I suppose having said just that, the question comes to me, you know, how does that feed into mankind or humankind in relation to how we're going to network going forward how are we going to interact going forward has this negative circuit breaker do you think it's going to bring us closer together generally speaking what, what do you think what's your sense kingsley oh look i think there's going to be some short-term trends and there's going to be some more medium and long-term trends i think i think probably we will we will all go back flying around the world i think we go back to an awful lot of the stuff that we've sort of decided yeah. to take a, bit of a, a holiday from uh, but in the short term, you know, I think, you know, I think we are in for disruption and turbulence and bizarrely opportunity. You yeah. know? And yeah. even in these awful times, there are certain sectors and segments which are absolutely booming. Yeah. So I think you're going to see these shifts. And, and you alluded to at the beginning of your question there, there will be, I suspect, pretty dramatic uh, impact on middle management, particularly around the world. I think companies are going to cut their costs they have to cut their costs. They're going to look at a 50-year-old guy or gal who's maybe costing 120000 a year and say, you know, yeah. there's a 23-year-old can do that job, maybe even do it better. So yeah. I think that um, one of the reasons why networking is going to become really important is that these people are going to have to look at potentially job change, for sure, but yeah. maybe even career change, maybe yeah. even old lifestyle change. And they're all coming, and they're coming at us maybe faster and more unnoticed than people. I don't think the media are giving much attention to this. Yeah, but I think companies are planning for this, and so you know that's going to be a bit of a shock to the system. People who have had a great career for twenty odd years never really had to look outside of what they're doing. Never actually really had to build a network of diversity, and that's one of the key things that I teach about network is building diversity. Never had to do it. They're going to have to do it now. Absolutely, and you know, you and I have been through this process. I, you know, I came later to this. Uh, but, you know, the last three and a half years, I've built my own database of connections and, you know, in different jurisdictions. And it's hard work, Kingsley. There's, you know, you, you, you've been doing this for a long time and, you know, developing connections and, 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 and you know, thriving through your own reputation. There's no shortcut, is there? It takes hard work. And, um, you know, from, 
you, you then mentioned companies and you know, I, I talk about the three-legged stool for organizations. They're going to have to face, on the one hand, as you said, re- having to reduce costs and efficiency, while number two, they have to still communicate and put marketing out, but more sensitively. And then number three, they still have to look to the future. So the three of them are kind of mutually exclusive, but the best management and the best leaders need to manage all those things. And I think you mentioned before, there's some examples of some businesses who are thinking about their reputation because it's going to be I, I think those businesses who manage their reputation sensitively now and also leaders and networkers are more likely to thrive w- what do you think about that yeah well yeah i mean there's some research just been done during the pandemic by edelman who are the world's That's largest right. communications company yeah and, and, and what they and they looked at about 80 countries and they there was an overwhelming sense from the consumer out there that they're watching what companies are doing and that they will penalize in a consumption sense companies who are not doing the right thing during during the corona crisis um i thought it was quite interesting i just noticed yesterday in an article in the newspaper here about ikea uh the swedish store that's everywhere um, who are who made a policy decision to give back to the governments of all the countries in which they're active the money that was given by these governments to their employees because IKEA yeah. are absolutely booming. Everybody's into DIY, painting and tidying up their shop. Yeah. But I think the other thing that you were just touching on at the beginning is that is that notion of um, so I'm a fan of Tom Peters. I mentioned him. Yeah. Uh, he, he was uh, one of the great management gurus in the late 90s. And he had an article in Fast Forward magazine, and it was called Me Inc. And his concept is that you're chairman, managing director, CEO, and marketing director of a company called Me Inc. In other words, it's you, you need to take responsibility. You cannot rely anymore on organizations. You can't rely on your boss or your boss's boss. Who do they care about more, their career or your career? So what he's saying is you need to invest in yourself. You need to find out what can you do that brings value to others. So this whole idea of me, Inc., and he talks about your personal brand. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a believer in that, and although I don't particularly like the phrase personal brand. I understand that everybody has a personal brand, whether they like it or not. In yeah. fact, not having a personal brand is having a personal brand. Absolutely. And your personal brand is not what you say it is. Yeah. It's what other people say it is. Absolutely. It's no, you know, your reputation is what somebody says about you when you're not in the room. Absolutely. And so now, now you've got to be thinking about creating that, getting known, not famous, but getting known. Yeah. So we live in a world where it's not what you know or who you know, but who knows you. Absolutely. And it's very interesting how companies now want to hire and wire. They want to hire people and wire into their network. So now your network becomes part of their net asset base. It's something that you possess. When you move, it moves with you. Yeah. So suddenly yeah. you own this thing, but you've yeah. got to build it. It takes... And, and it's, so for some people, it, it's too daunting because it feels like picking up grains of sand one at a time. But eventually it becomes bucketfuls. And yeah. eventually then it, it really is the thing that's got to move and push your trajectory. Yeah. And then the other thing that people don't realize is that particularly um, people don't realize as they progress through their career, the technical skills they needed to get their job in the first instance become less important mm-hmm. and relationships become more important. Absolutely. And I'm a fan of um, Carla Harris, who's the uh, yeah. 30 years yeah. with Morgan Stanley, New York, the highest, highest black executive in the banking industry, colorful, wonderful lady, fantastic singer, really great. And she hammers this point. She says, yeah. in your career, you have two types of currency. One is performance currency, which is how well you do your job. And that's great. 
but the yeah. other is relationship currency. And what she says is in your career, you need three types of people. You need an advisor who gives you good advice about what you're doing. You need a mentor who will mm. give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. But you need something else. You need a sponsor. Yeah. And a sponsor is somebody who will talk about you when you're not in the room. And when you think about it, most decisions about your career will be made by people in a room and you're not in that room. And it also goes with this whole area of online communication or networking, whatever you want to call it, but we're communicating as human beings. And it's interesting, you know, I started this series and I spoke to the likes of Marshall Goldsmith and John Matone and Sally Helgerson. And I thought that was it. Right. And then out of the blue, I got a connection from another global guru from Canada about a week ago saying, I'm very interested in your series. Right. And so that's why I've extended it because to the point that I'm making Kingsley is that very senior people, whether we know it or not, are watching us or, or not. They're either watching us or they're not, you know, so that depends on the work we do. And it just re reminded me that, you know, you did a piece for, for me when I was doing the deal closing stuff and you, you made a really profound comment. And I think we can, we can apply it to the networking. You said that every deal you close is the down pay is a down payment on the next deal. And I think every interaction we have, whether anything comes out of it or not, that's almost a secondary thing, is a down payment on our future engagement. I don't think there's any wasted engagement because we learn from wasted, wasted engagement. Do you, do you agree as well? The more interaction we have, as long as we're careful with our time and we create boundaries, boundaries it's all of value to, to some extent. Would you say, would you agree with that or would you challenge that? I'm a big fan, I call it just do stuff. I used to admire Herb Kelleher, who is the yeah, founder yeah. of Sandwich Airlines. He's a wonderfully yeah. colorful guy. I managed to meet him once. He had these big boots on, they were up on the desk, and he had a glass of whiskey and a big cigar. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. The extraordinary guy, who actually was the, who was the uh, sort of instigator and the idea behind Ryanair. Michael Leary worked over there in Southwest Airlines. And uh, it's, it was just fascinating. But his, his line where he was asked about, what's the success of Southwest Airlines? He said, we just do stuff. So I'm a big fan of just doing stuff. Because in that, by doing stuff, here's what happens. Serendipity, luck, yeah, yeah. chance. So I'm a fan of, I call it funnels of serendipity or managed serendipity. Yeah. I'm a fan that you can make luck happen for you. But it doesn't happen lying in bed. It doesn't happen sitting at your desk. Yeah. I mean, you either think luck is like a bolt of lightning or winning the lottery. It's total chance. Or, yeah. like I think, it's like a gentle wind at your back. It's always there. And if you do things and yeah. change your routines and yeah. say yes more often and get yeah. out and about, you know, guess what happens? Serendipity, luck and chance enter your life. No, absolutely. So that's what I was saying. And um, so just to pivot a little bit in the last 10 minutes. So nations okay so i know you, you you do a lot of work around nation branding and you have done work ar around that and uh, reputations and soft power and and you know that i represent brand finance over here in ireland and brand finance launched um the, the soft power index at, at davos in january which seems like a different century ago now back in january pre pre-covid um and ireland is ireland is the fourth most intangible economy in the world it was the, it's been the last three years, the fastest growing um, nation brand in Western Europe. And it is extremely um, propitious in terms of soft power. And, and, and you're involved. So what would you, this whole area of soft nation power, how would you articulate it? And, and any, any themes you're seeing, particularly in relation to Ireland? 
So um, soft power actually was first coined by Professor Joseph Nye in Harvard University. And yeah. he wrote a book called Soft Power. It's a great read. And what he said is countries can achieve what they want through attraction rather than coercion. So hard power is military might and economic might, et cetera. And soft yeah. power is this more sort of attractiveness that you can create. It's your culture. It's things like your music. It's like your, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he sort yeah. of said hard power is the Second World War. Soft power was the Marshall Plan that followed it, you know. So yeah. soft power is really important and particularly important for small nations because Ireland's not planning to invade anybody in the near future. And the last time we won a battle was the Battle of Clontarf in 1014. So we don't have a great track record in hard yeah. power, but we have awesome soft power. Now, yeah. that's yeah. for the reason that, you know, we have a gigantic diaspora. So 10 million people left Ireland in history. So they're yeah. all over the world. They're in positions of affluence and influence all over the world. Yeah. So, so we do have that soft power, that reputation, that, that sort of stuff that you're talking about, soft brands. But, but countries are realizing that this is an absolute gem of an asset. And yeah. if you can get this, the spin-off. So my, my real focus has been all through my life with this notion of countries, cities, regions having diasporas. Yeah. I also take a broader definition. Universities have diasporas. And the American university alumni system is phenomenal yeah, what yeah. they do. Uh, I also think um, cities have diasporas. A couple of years ago, I wrote a report for Copenhagen, 300,000 people outside Denmark, and they want to connect with them. So yeah. what were once lost actors are now national assets. Yeah. So countries realize that. And also, small countries in particular, we need our friends around the world. Mm. We can no longer rely on these major multilateral agreements being in, in, in force. So we need yeah. to build our connections. Because the age of if the information age is over, we now live in the network age. Yeah. And in the network age, the measurement of power is connectedness. Yeah. And so that's what you need. Because for the first time ever, it's more important what you do than where you are. Mm. In the old days, your geography dictated your identity. You lived yeah. like you in Perth, that's who you were. You were loyal to that, etc. But now you can live in Perth and be engaged in, in Greece or Poland or Portugal or Ireland. Yep. So Ireland's yep. got this. Ireland's understood this much more than many other countries. The yep. other countries yep. that get it are India, China, Israel, and Ireland. They're the top four in this space. Yes. And it's kind of fascinating now how... So I, I'm, I did a job for Tunisia last week. I'm doing a... a, a, a podcast for Azerbaijan next week. I'm running three Zoom in Lesotho. It's yeah. all the same thing. They're yeah, trying to figure out how can we do what Ireland and Israel and India and China have done yeah. for quite a long time. Yeah. So countries are now kind of waking up to this is potential that they have yeah. in their diaspora to help their... So I've developed a concept called diaspora capital, okay. which is resources available to a country, city, region, and has three flows. Flows of people, flows of money and, and flows of knowledge. And lots of people are trying to get into this, but you know, don't get me going on this, Simon, because you know, they used to tell me in America, never give a Mick a mic, because they just, they just don't stop. But that, yeah. if you get me going on this, you'll have to shoot. Yeah. No, I, 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 get, I, I get that very much because of the work I do with brand finance. And, I, and I've seen the numbers for Ireland, right? And, uh, and they're also, you know, this, you know, when you think about it, I mean, Ireland is a, a windswept rock off a windswept rock off the west coast of Europe with no real limited natural resources. All its resources has been human capital through history. And yet it's the fourth most intangible economy in the world. I mean, why isn't the press talking more about this? I mean, well, that, that means 
all of those major multinationals and think tanks and tech companies and farmers, they all have intellectual property based out of Ireland, right? And yeah. these aren't just tax reasons. These are human reasons, the reasons, yeah. these are motivation reasons. There's the first thing. And then the other thing I don't hear, and, and I don't hear the Irish press say enough good things in the other direction. So there's a number that I think it's about 30,000 30, brand finance talk about it. About 30,000 middle senior executives in London are Irish. I mean, directly Irish, not third, fourth generation running big, big companies. And, uh, you know, and, and we, we, they, I know brand finance have discussed toying with the idea of doing some sort of, wouldn't it be interesting if you could do some sort of soft power survey on what it is about the Irish, the Irish decision-making, that soft power, and the Israelis have it in their own different way. But what is it? Can you put a KPI? Can you put a measurement around why it is that so many good Irish presidents and business so many good presidents and business leaders are irish is it's more than just the crack it's more than just having fun it's more than just the charm there is a soft persuasive influence thing but i don't think anybody's actually put a kpi around it but what do you think if somebody could measure this magic this magic this irish soft persuasive power it would be dynamite what, what, what do you think about that Well, I'm sure you'd need, you know, a great psychoanalysts to really dig into this thing. Maybe it's because, you know, I always say our diaspora is so powerful because we were a victim diaspora. The most yeah. powerful diasporas in the world are victim diasporas. Absolutely. The Jews, Absolutely. the Armenians, yeah. the Irish because yeah. of our famine. So there's a deep folkloric memory scarred into our tissues. I think yeah. that's there. I think we have a very, very, we've historically uh, continue to have a really good educational system. And we, very in fact, good. owe a lot to the churches for what they did in the old days, there's nobody doing that now, but yeah. that was a yeah. huge part. Our primary school system is very good. Our universities yeah. are very good. So we churn out great people, probably too many great people for this small little windy island off an island off the edge yeah. of Europe, as you said. Yeah. And I think then something else, which is another dynamic, which I'd love to put a metric around, but it's this sense of belonging. Yeah. And I think the sense of belonging is one of the great drivers in the world. Mostly yeah. good, sometimes bad. But this sense of belonging, there's a lot of talk, uh, particularly in America, around the world, about diversity and inclusion. But now they're beginning to talk about what they call dibs, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. How do you engender a sense of belonging, a sense of loyalty to an organization, to a place, yeah. to a country? I mean, the whole thing about diaspora, I always feel, it's not actually loving a country, it's loving a place. So you yeah. can have somebody in London who's extremely successful. They're very passionate about Donegal, and they rather hope Cork falls over. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So But I think it is fascinating that, the, and it, of course, the glue for those people in London and everywhere is networking and networks. Uh, yeah. And I think we have a natural proclivity towards that because we're social animals. We're particularly social animals in Ireland. Yeah, there's there's a real power. And when when I'm not going to talk about politics, but but when you see what's happening in the UK right now, and the US, and and Russia, and Brazil, and 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 all of these big economies are run by very macho invariably right-wing men right who a lot of the time are, are not connected to the empathy that the feminine empathy that you need for good networking whereas in ireland right i mean just today you know the the, the, the two major parties traditional parties who a hundred years ago were at war with each other have yeah. just announced you know subject to the party approval a historic agreement with the greens now There's huge power in that, you know, as an example setting, whether or not it's going to work, whether or not it'll actually be good for the economy is another thing. But, but at a time when the rest of the world is polarizing and fighting, 
Ireland today is announcing coalescence, you know, there's a real, I think that goes back to that sense of belonging and pride and that togetherness in Ireland. I really do. Would you agree with yeah. that? No, I would totally agree with that. And, and we watch with interest, as you say, as they put together, which was, you know, who, you know, who'd have thought of this just a few, few years ago. I mean, no. that no. would be turning over in his grave, all that kind of stuff. No. But I think that shows a, a maturity. I mean, we've evolved into that. And I, I, I hate all this. We're the number one, we're the best. We're not, we're not. We've good things and we've bad things. But I think that, you know, on balance, we've done, the government have done a lot of good things. They've, they've handled the COVID crisis very well. The people have responded in a very respectful and very responsible way. Yeah. Um, I think there is a strong social cohesion within the country. Uh, yeah. I think that helps. Um, but sure, that we still have our problems. And we don't bleat about it and say we're the, we're the number one or we'll make ourselves yeah. great again. No, absolutely. So, so just wrapping up, Kingsley, if you were going to, and it's been a fascinating conversation, and I could talk to you about the nation brand thing and, and, and the whole diaspora thing and networking thing, because, I, I, you know, I, my, my grandmother was Irish, a Polish grandmother, English on, on the other side, and I've lived in Australia and I've lived in five countries, and Ireland is my home. You know, my wife's Irish, my daughters are Irish. I'm an Irish citizen as well. So I, for me, the world is, is my place, you know, and I, you know, people can't replace whether I have an English or an Australian. Sometimes when I go to the UK, I sound Irish. I don't care. The world is the place. So, so just, just to wrap up, if you were going to whisper two or three words of wisdom to somebody who was going to be the future Kingsley Aikens, who was going to be, who was going to be taking networking and, and, and bringing nations together and, and, and creating that, that global community of the future. What two or three words of wisdom would you tell them? Well, um, you, you know, you, 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 you mentioned there the world, the world's your oyster. As I say over here, the world is your lobster. But uh, I, do, I do think, um, I would say to like my youngsters, I was just talking to them today, I mean, get ready, um, get ready. We, we have an old expression in Ireland, when business is down, that's when you paint the shop. Okay, so that's when you get ready yeah. because things will surge again. It, yeah. You know, it's going to be possibly longer than we think. It might be next year, but yeah. places will surge and soar again. In fact, one of the reasons why companies are so nervous about letting people go was up until this crisis, the biggest problem in Ireland was the attraction and retention of talent, was to find yeah. people to do these jobs. Yeah. That will come back, you know? And, um, and so I am an you know, eternal optimist in these areas. And although I'm privileged by not having suffered from this crisis, I do think uh, things will come back. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think, um, I think we need to be calm. We need to be calm. We need to be compassionate, but we also need to be courageous as well. And, you know, if strong, decisive, decisive decisions need to be made, they need to be made. But it's been really great chatting with you, Kingsley. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I, I look forward to seeing you on stage again. I know you've been doing Pendulum Summit and various things. And, you know, that, that they, those days will come back again. And that's where you should, be, you should be delivering that passionate. You, you really have a real passionate for the space. So it's been great talking to you. Thanks very much. Thank you, Simon. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.